sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. It's Saturday night, and that means it's time for science fiction on the Twilight Beacon. Tonight, we present two episodes of the classic radio program X-1, featuring stories from contemporary sci-fi authors. X-1 ran for three years on NBC Radio, and was the pop culture successor to the earlier program Dimension X. X-1 largely featured scripts based on science fiction novels and short stories popular with readers at the time. As a result, many of the stories featured on this radio show dealt with the two most common themes of 1950s science fiction, space exploration and apocalyptic modern war. Our first episode of X-1 is The Defenders, based on a story by Philip K. Dick. The author of 44 novels and over 120 short stories, Philip K. Dick was known for delving into the deeper questions of the human experience, presenting his philosophical musings through the lens of sci-fi plots. He wrote stories exploring topics like the nature of human perception, alternate realities, and the morality of scientific progress. His work has been more timeless than many of his contemporaries, and his novels have been adapted very successfully into modern film and television productions, like Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, and The Man in the High Castle. Dick's story, The Defenders, touched on the menace of global war and the danger it posed to mankind's existence. For audiences of the 1950s, nuclear war was a very real threat, and the outbreak of a third world war, with nuclear weapons causing worldwide destruction, seemed inevitable. Lots of sci-fi stories of the time dealt with this subject, and often they did so as a warning against future conflict. Philip K. Dick, as usual, took an even more grim and metaphysical approach, and the war he describes creates a dire endgame for humankind. And now we present Philip K. Dick's The Defenders, as heard on X-1 in May of 1956. And now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1... From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight, The Defenders, based on a story by Philip Dick. And now we 
a special film of the destruction of San Francisco by radioactive pellets, released this week by Roberts of the Asian Confederation. This bombing was televised by Robert Cameraman of the Western Confederation as it took place. What you are about to see is a rebroadcast. Here you see the heroic Robots, the Leddies, who defended San Francisco against the dastardly attack. Of course, since all human life has been under the surface of Earth for 16 years, there was no actual loss of life in the sense we know it. Still, the vicious destruction of Western Leddies by this sneak attack by Asian robots. The surface war. The surface war, that's all we hear. It's all everybody works for. Ninety cents out of every dollar goes for the surface war. Every man, woman, and child is either inventing new weapons or manufacturing robots to fight for us or taking care of the people who are doing the inventing or manufacturing. Mary, Mary, take it easy. I'm sorry, Dad. Maybe you've been working too hard at the university. Maybe. How's the study coming? All right. Colonel Moss was asking about it only today over at Supreme Headquarters. I'm still working. Mary, you haven't mentioned the enemy much. Oh, what's there to say? Well, is he as hateful as ever? He hasn't been feeling well. Pity. I hope he doesn't die. After all, he's the only living captive member of the Asian Confederation. How old is he, by the way? Thirty-four. You're joking, of course. No. Mary, Western society only moved under the surface of the Earth some 16 years ago. Now, that would mean that the enemy was captured when he was only a boy. Yes. He told you this? Oh, no. He tells everyone he's 42. I deduced it from inconsistencies in his statements. Well, that's a little dangerous, isn't it? Well, you're the only one I've told, Dad. I wish you wouldn't even tell me these things. Do you expect your friend Colonel Moss to pop out from under the bed? Now you're being facetious. It's no laughing matter, Mary. The whole concept of the enemy is so charged emotionally... And so full of lies. Mary! It's true. I've been talking to him for six months now. He's just an ordinary young man who who happens to have had the bad luck to come to symbolize every hated thing we fight against. I've heard him speak. He is hateful. He knows what to say if he wants to keep alive. Mary, I won't hear any more of this. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I suppose it doesn't serve any useful purpose. It isn't that. It, I'm, I'm thinking of your own safety. If remarks like this were overheard, do you know what they do to traitors? I've heard they turn them over to the leddies. They're taken up to the surface. As they approach it, the radioactivity begins to destroy them. And by the time they reach the top... I'll be careful. Good. Now then, why don't we stop this morbid talk? How about turning on some music, hmm? All right. Dad? Yes? What was it like? What? On the surface. Don't you remember? Mm-mm. Oh, no, of course not. You were only about six at the time. Well, it, it's best not to talk about it too much. Oh, tell me, Dad, please. Well, it was quite different from living underground. We lived in a valley, your mother and you and I. There were pretty farms along the floor of the valley, little white houses and green fields and trees. Oh, and there were birds. Yes. I'm afraid the birds are extinct now. It must have been hard for you those first years underground. It wasn't pleasant. But I had my work at the War Institute. There was so much to be done then. Building the levees to take over the surface war. 
designing the pneumatic tubes to get supplies and weapons up to the robots, organizing the robot councils on the surface, and, of course, the constant fight against radiation leakage. We're still working on that one. I wonder what my life would have been like if it hadn't happened. About all I know is metal walls and great roaring factories and barracks. Nobody wants to live this way, my dear. We have to. Someday, when the enemy is defeated... What makes you think he'll be defeated? The Asians are just as secure underground as we are. When our ladies conquer theirs... Dad. What is it? Dad, the enemy, the one I've been interviewing. I thought we weren't discussing him. He mentioned a word to me. A word? Yes, it... It seems to me that I heard it before when, when I was a little girl. It's best to forget these things. No, I, I don't know what it means. It might even be a bad word, but I have to ask you. I'd rather not. Please? Well? The word was peace. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shock you. I think I'll go up to my room. I have to get up early. I'm taping an interview with the enemy. Excuse me. Get me the director of internal security. Yes? Moss, this is Donald Taylor. Yes, Donald. It's about my daughter. Mary? Yes. She's been working with the enemy, as you know, compiling a new study. Yes? I'm afraid from some of the things he's told her that he may not be completely... Well, completely sane. I I thought perhaps you might... Well, uh, supervise their relationship a little more. After all, she's been spending almost six months in his company, several hours a day. I see what you mean. Now, I don't mean to suggest that anything has happened already. Her attitudes... Don't concern yourself about it. Everything will be handled discreetly. The enemy is waiting inside, Miss Taylor. Good. Is the recording and filming equipment ready to go? All checked and ready. You've checked the restraint suit on the prisoner? Yes, miss. You may leave us alone. Just buzz when you want me, Miss Taylor. I will. Thank you, guard. Hello, hateful one. Hello, beloved. How are you? Feeling no pain? I thought about you last night. I talked to Father. Be careful. Oh, it's all right. Oh, this can't go on, Mary. Sooner or later, someone will suspect. I don't care. I love you. Mary. You'd better get something on tape. If anyone comes in. All right. Tape number 425X. Subject, recorded interview with captive ZN2 former soldier of the Asian Confederation and enemy of the Western Confederation. I am Joseph Kali, serial number ZN2, former soldier of the Asian Confederation. What were you taught to believe concerning the people of the Western Confederation? I hate them with all my heart. They are inhuman and to be destroyed. What is your objective? It is the objective of my people to enslave all members of the Western Confederation and to utilize them for the benefit of the masters of the Asian Confederation. Did you ever witness any murder of members of the Western Confederation? I was a pilot in a group which dropped radioactive dust on women and children who were preparing to be evacuated underground. 
I myself killed some 15,000. We will discontinue the interview to check the quality of the recordings. And to kiss the lips of the captive from the Asian Confederation. Oh, Joseph. I can't tell you how it pains me to hear you mouthing this stuff. It keeps me alive. If there were only some way to escape, some place to go. The surface is the only place to go. And the radioactivity kills you in 40 minutes with the thickest lead suit. Sometimes I think even 40 minutes of freedom would be worth it. 40 minutes of pain? If that's the price, then I... For myself, I wouldn't care. But for you, Mary... If there were a way to reach the surface... There is. Colonel Moss. This has been, I must say, a most interesting interview to him. You heard it. From the beginning. We had the room wired this morning. Then you know. Yes. What's going to happen to us? To you, nothing. Because of my friendship for your father and your own youth, we will simply require that you remain silent about anything that has happened. And Joseph? The enemy will be handed over to a D-class leady at the mouth of the tube and taken to the surface. We will perform the entire operation with a ceremony and a public announcement. He'll die. Precisely. No. Please. Now, you'd better go. Your father is waiting outside. Joseph. Mary, do as he says. Joseph, I love you. Take her out. Please let me say, let me say goodbye to him. Remove her. Joseph, please. Please let me say, please. Father? Yes? Did you talk to Colonel Moss? Yes. And? He'll permit you to come along and watch the ceremony. Provided... Provided? There's no display of any sort. And, of course, a public denouncement of the whole matter. He's prepared a statement to the effect that the enemy tried to dupe you. That he used uh, hypnosis, uh, etc., etc. Well? I'll sign it. The ceremony is at the foot of the tube tomorrow morning at 6. At that hour, the enemy will be handed over to a D-class leady, which is being brought down from the surface. Remember your promise. Detailed! Halt! The prisoner is ready to be turned over, sir. Is the robot here? The robot is arriving now. I'll give the orders. I wish to converse with it. Yes, sir. The robot has landed at the foot of the tube, sir. Switch on the intercom. Robot. Robot N-71. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We have a prisoner to turn over. He is to be taken to the surface and destroyed. Yes, sir. Before we send him into the radiation lock, there are a few questions the military would like to have answered. Yes, sir. How is the war going on the surface? The war continues. We are a little short of fast pursuit craft, the single seat type. It will be noted. Our missiles pounded the Euro munitions plant of the Asian robot team last night with good results. Excellent. Are you ready to receive the prisoner? I am ready. I must warn all observers to remain behind the lead wall when the radiation lock opens. 
A few seconds' exposure to a hot lady is enough to cause serious damage. Prisoner, step forward. Father. Steady, Mary. Remember your promise? Yes. Is he... He's there. Oh, if I could only see him alone a minute. It's out of the question. Keep well behind the lead wall. Ready? Ready, Colonel. Open the lock. Step into the lock, prisoner. He's in with the leady. You can almost feel the radiation. By now, he's as good as dead. Lower the door. No, wait! Mary, come back. Hold the door. Mary. Robert, remove the woman and take the prisoner to the service. Hurry. She'll be burned to death. Don't go out there. The lady is pushing her out. Close the lock. Mary. Sergeant, get a technician in a radiation suit to pick her up. Have her shielded and brought to the decontaminating chamber. Yes, sir. My daughter. You'd better get into a lead suit, Donald. We'll see what we can do to save her. Is she bad? Uh, I don't understand it. What's wrong? She's cold, not a trace of radiation. You mean the leady wasn't radioactive? It's impossible. Those robots are exposed to enough radiation in an hour to kill a regiment. Well, could the counter be defective? I checked it. No, it must be some freak. Somehow she avoided exposure to the rays. Yeah, you're a very lucky man, Professor. Can I see her? Yes. Go in. Thank you. Mary. Hello, Dad. Did they tell you you're going to be all right? Yes. Well, you don't seem overjoyed. Should I be? You really care for this, this murderer of women and children? Dad, for the last time, Joseph never murdered any women and children. He confessed to those crimes to keep alive. Well, we won't discuss it. You're safe. That's all that matters. Is he... Was he taken up? Yes. By now, he's gone. I don't believe it. Mary. I don't believe it. Somehow, deep inside me, I know he's alive. Somehow, I knew that Letty wasn't radioactive. That Letty. Yes, that's puzzling. We'll have to investigate that. I'm going to send an order to the surface asking that the same Letty be sent down again. There's something very strange about the whole business. tube is arriving with the leady as you requested, Professor. Good. I'm going in to examine it. Isn't that dangerous, even with a suit on, sir? It won't take me long. Very well. He's reached bottom. Open the lock. Father. Hold it. Mary, what are you doing here in a radiation suit? I... This is the same leady, isn't it? Yes. I was just going in to examine it. I want to go with you. Why? This is the leady that took Joseph up. I want to speak to it and find out. Now, Mary, why torture yourself? It's more torture this way. I have to know. If he's alive or dead, I have to know. He's dead. The leady will know. Please, Father, please. Very well. Close your helmet. Open the lock, guard. Ready, Mary? Ready. 
Let's go in. You are Robert N. 71? I am. The same who escorted the prisoner to the surface this morning? Yes. Is he? He is dead. The radiation killed him before he reached the surface. Oh, no. Steady, Mary. Robert. Sir? You accompanied him to the surface? Yes. You've been exposed. I have fought in three battles. Then explain something. Sir? According to a counter I have concealed in my suit, you're cold. Not a trace of radioactivation. How do you explain this? Well? Answer me. That's an order. I must return to the surface. Not till you answer me. I must return to continue fighting the war. Do not attempt to stop me. I again... Daddy has a ray gun. Look out! Keep back. I've shot at him with the metal counter. He'll be burned out in a second. That was close. I thought these robots were unable to harm their masters. He might have been bluffing, but I couldn't take a chance. Why do you suppose he did it? I don't know. But I'm beginning to suspect something so fantastic that I've got to find out about it. Find out? Leave the tube, Mary. What are you going to do? I'm going to the surface. What? My suit will protect me for about five minutes up there. No humans have been up to the surface for years. It's illegal. It's... I know all about that. Now, will you leave the tube? No. I'm going with you. Mary, please. If you go, I go with you. All right. Hang on. I'm going to start the elevator. We go. Surface Council. What's this all about? Where's the war? The ruins? What's happened here? Can't you guess? The war? There is no war. There hasn't been any war for 15 years. No war? But the guns, the, the munitions... That... We've been destroying them as fast as you sent them to the surface. And the Asians? Their robots have been destroying their arms also. Why? How did this happen? What about those films of the destruction of San Francisco? What about those televised reports, the, the bombings, the slaughter? Models. Models? We have a full-time division of A-class robots who do nothing but photograph the progress of the fictitious war using scale models. 
the entire destruction of San Francisco, which you witnessed on your televisors, took place on a tabletop. How did this come about? Quite logically. You created us to pursue the war for you, while you human beings went below ground to survive. But before we could continue the war, it was necessary to analyze it, to determine its purpose. We did this. And? We found it had no purpose. War, to the logical mind, is absurd, but it fulfills a need in human terms, the need to direct your hatred of yourselves away from you and on to others. Eventually, man will grow up enough so that he can face his own dislike of himself with humility. The time has almost come, as a matter of fact. Until it does come, we decided to preserve the illusion of war. Meanwhile, we rebuilt the cities, replanted the farms, and kept everything in readiness. We are the caretakers. And what, what will happen to my daughter and myself? You will remain on the surface with the others. Others? There is a small group of members of the Asian Confederation which came to the surface only a few months ago. They are farming a valley not far from here. By the way, you may remove your radiation suits. There is no radiation. You said the others. Does that mean that the prisoner, the one who... He is alive and well. Father, he's alive. Where is he? In a farmhouse not far from here. He has rejoined some of his people. Would you take me to him? Can I see him? Of course, if you will just follow me. Wait. There's another car rising in the tube. Stand aside. Just remain where you are. Sergeant, take this lady into custody. Yes, sir. Well, Professor, this is quite a sight. How did you happen to come here? The guard told us you had surfaced. We found the shorted robot where you left it and discovered it was cold. So we decided we'd better investigate. Good Lord, what a shock this is. A blessing, Colonel. Not a shock. Do the Asians know about this? A few of them have surfaced, but the underground civilization is still ignorant of it. They think the war is going on just as our people do. Don't say. You know what this means, don't you? It means the end of the war. It means peace. It means victory, Professor. It means we can mount a full-scale attack. We can drop hydrogen fission bombs right down their tubes. We can wipe out the whole race. But there's no need. There's no war. There will be. I'm returning underground to report this to Supreme Headquarters. You'll have to accompany me for security purposes. You cannot do that, Colonel. Since when does a robot give orders to a human? We were constructed to protect you. In this case, we will protect you from yourselves. Stand aside. We're going to the tube. I will be happy to stand aside, but you will not be able to descend. No? Well, we'll just see. Look out! Father, what is it? What happened? Look. Good Lord. They've destroyed the tube. We're sealed off. Exactly. We have always had heat bombs in readiness for just such an emergency. Lead and rock are fused for a depth of some ten miles. It will be years before your people can reconstruct the tube. I don't believe it. It makes no difference to us whether you believe it or not. Men, 
Destroy this robot. There are many more. Destroy him. Now. Look down the road. Humans. A bunch of humans coming toward us. Why, they're waving. Those are Asians. Joseph! Joseph! Father Joseph's with them. Ready, arms, men. As soon as they're close enough, I'll give the signal to fire. Colonel, in heaven's name, they aren't even armed. They're the enemy. Our only hope for survival is to join with them. We'll need food and shelter. If we destroy them... The professor's right, Colonel. We're cut off from our own people. Sergeant, another word, and I'll have you court-martialed. Now, ready your weapons. Men, don't do it. Our only hope now is peace. Silence! I've got to warn them. Go back! Go back! All right, Professor, you asked for it. Now! Father! Colonel Moss is dead. Thank you, Sergeant. You've saved not only my my life, but many others. I couldn't see any other way, Professor. We gotta live, too. Father? Yes, Mary? Does this mean that we can have peace? If we want it, Mary. If we really want it, we can have it. have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features the Clifford D. Simak novelette titled Drop Dead, the story of a perfect world, accommodating and peaceful. But how it got that way was less ghastly than how it stayed that way. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you the George Leffert's adaptation of The Defenders, based on a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Philip Dick. Featured in the cast were Lydia Bruce, Warren Parker, Grant Richards, Robert Dryden, Michael Ingram, Stan Early, and Ivor Francis. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. You just listened to Philip K. Dick's The Defenders from X-1 as originally aired on May 22, 1956. Our next X-1 episode is based on Tom Godwin's story, Cold Equations. This is the short story that Godwin is primarily known for, and it was credited with helping to redefine the genre. Science fiction of the 1950s was plentiful and mainstream, forging a large presence in American post-war pop culture. However, most of the sci-fi of this age would be considered cliched and corny by today's standards. Space exploration was a common theme, and the only drama most authors imagined was the possibility of conflict with alien species. Godwin's Cold Equations takes a much more bleak view of space travel, although a more science-based one. In this story, the presence of a castaway imperils a rescue mission in space, and the pilot is left with a lethal dilemma, forced to decide who lives and who dies. And now, Tom Godwin's Cold Equations, as heard on X-1 in August of 1955. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire.
From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Cold Equations. There is no margin of safety along the rim of a frontier. There can't be any, until the way is made for those who come later. Until then, the penalty for mistakes is a grim one. The laws of physical nature operate with irrevocable certainty, with no room for mercy, kindness, or sentimentality. In space, life becomes a cold equation, and the equal sign is often followed by death. I know. I'm the pilot of an EDS. Come in. You sent for me, Commander? Yes. Sit down, Barton. <clears throat> we just got an ED from the Territorial Space Station on Woden. Uh, Woden. That's in the Crab Nebula, isn't it? That's right. There are two exploration parties there on Manning's Continent. Eight men each. Mm-hmm. They've got cala fever in one of them and no serum. Oh, and I thought this was going to be a nice, quiet passenger run. Computers are working out your payload and your course right now. In exactly ten minutes, we'll drop in a normal space and launch your ship. I'll get her ready. One thing. What's that? Woden is at the maximum pay limit for an EDS. Figuring the weight of the serum, we'll be able to give you just enough fuel to land on Manning's Continent if you make it the first pass. Otherwise, you'll burn out in midair. Mm-hmm. Standard procedure. Report to launching control. Right. Good luck, Barton. Thanks. Oh, uh, by the way. Yes? When can I expect to be picked up? We'll make a stop on the run back to Earth sometime next year. You'll be notified by radio. Okay. Sorry, we can't make it sooner. <laughs> That's what happens when you sign on for EDS work. I'll see you next year, Commander. <laughs> Down in the belly of the Stardust, the crew was working like beavers to get the EDS, the emergency dispatch ship, ready. Mechanics and technicians were swarming all over the place. Girls in inspector's uniforms were checking the gauges in the supply cabinet. Nine minutes later, the exact course was in the computer. The serum was stowed in my supply cabinet closet, and little EDS 4G3 was ready to be born into space. Martin? Yes, sir? 30 seconds to blast off. All set? All set. I'm turning you over to traffic. Ready. Traffic control. Come in, EDS 4G3. Ready. 20 seconds. Lock open. 15 seconds. Space drive on. Space drive on. 10 seconds. Gravity neutralizer on. Neutralizer on. 5 seconds. 4, 3, 2, one, blast off! I don't remember how long it was afterwards that I first noticed something wrong. Maybe an hour, maybe two. There was nothing to show it except the needle and the heat gauge. It was on zero when we left the stardust, and now I noticed that it had crept up toward the 30 mark. That meant something inside the ship was radiating heat. That something was in the supply closet, and it was alive. 
All right. Come out. Whoever or whatever you are, if you don't come out in five seconds, I'm going to blast you. One. Two. Well, I'll be... Hello. I'm Marilyn Lee Cross. What are you doing in there? I'm a stowaway. Oh, my... What's the matter? Do I have to pay a fine or something? What are you doing here? I wanted to see my husband. Who's your husband? He's with the government survey crew on Woden. I haven't seen him since he left Earth four years ago. Okay. But what made you hide in my EDS? I have a job waiting for me on Mimir. But I heard you were going to Woden and there was plenty of room, so I hid. Oh, I knew I'd be breaking some kind of rule, but uh, what's one little rule? What's one little rule? H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination. H amount of fuel will not power an EDS with a mass of M plus X safely to its destination. Well, how could she be expected to know? She was 5'2 with brown curly hair and the faint sweet smell of perfume. She was 5'2 and she smelled like apple blossoms. And her name was X in an equation that would have to be balanced. Stardust. Come in, EDS. Come in. This is Barton, emergency dispatch pilot, 4G3. Go ahead. Give me Commander Delhart. What's the message, EDS? I have to consult Commander Delhart. The commander is busy. Listen, you squirt. Give me Commander Delhart. One moment, 4G3. Commander Delhart, emergency message from EGS, 4G3. This is Delhart. What is it? At 0800 hours, I discovered... A stowaway aboard my ship. A stowaway? Yes, sir. Well, have you notified ship's records? Not yet, sir. You know the regulations as well as I do. Of course I know the regulations. That's why I'm calling. Martin, what's going on? Sir, this is a girl. A young woman. Oh. She wanted to see her husband on Woden. She didn't know what she was doing. I see. I wondered, sir, maybe the cruiser could... Change course or something? I'm afraid not. We're hundreds of light years apart now. We have a limited fuel supply ourselves with 900 passengers. Is there any chance? No. Okay, Skipper. Better get the information to ship's records. Okay. Martin. Skipper. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. our acceleration, didn't you? Yes. Why? Well, save fuel for a while. How did you manage to stow away? Well, I was taking a language lesson in Mimiris from a girl in the inspection corps. The order came in for your trip. I just went along on an impulse. It was easy. I'll be a model prisoner, I promise. Well, if you were only a thief or a spy, it would make it easier. Make what easier? Uh, forget it. Why couldn't she have been somebody with some ulterior motive, a fugitive, hoping to lose himself in a raw new world, a, a, a crackpot with a mission? Why did she have to be a woman, a beautiful, kind, trusting woman? Stardust. Barton, EDS, 4G3. Go ahead, 4G3. Identify a stowaway. Uh, 
give me your identification disc, Miss Cross? Here. Why? Well, it's for ship's records. Uh, identification number T-8374. One moment. This is for the gray card, of course. Yes. I'll need the time of... I'll tell you later. That's highly irregular. Then we'll do it in a highly irregular manner. The subject is a young woman. She's listening to everything that's said. Are you capable of understanding that? Go ahead, 4G3. Number T8374-Y54. Name, Marilyn Lee Cross. Female, married. Born July 7th, 2160. Good Lord, you're only a child. <laughs> Height, 5 feet 2 inches. Weight, 110. Hair, brown. Eyes, blue. Complexion, light. Blood type, O. Original destination, Port City, Mimir. Uh, listen, I'll call you back later. Look, miss. Marilyn. Look, Marilyn. I, I guess you don't know what you got yourself into here. Well, it's like this. This ship is carrying Cala fever serum to the survey group on Woden. Yes. Their supply was wrecked in a tornado. The fever is always fatal unless the serum is given in the first 48 hours. Now, these little ships have exactly enough fuel to reach their destination. If you stay aboard her, your added weight will cause it to use up all its fuel before it can land. What happens then? We crash. You die, I die, and six fever victims on Woden die. Can't they send out another ship to meet us? There are no ships to send. Well, I... Oh, no. Oh, no, you, you couldn't do that. That's how it has to be. But that's crazy. I haven't done anything. I I haven't hurt anybody. I'm sorry. I... I, I should have told you before, but I, I wanted to make sure there was no other way. You mean it? You're going to make me leave this ship? That's how it is. But I'll die. I'll explode. I'll be like those horrible pictures about... Try to understand. I do understand. You're going to kill me, and I didn't do anything. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. That has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with it. Nobody just dies like that for no reason. Oh, listen. Maybe there are other cruisers. Cruisers you don't know about. Maybe the radio. Maybe it... Now, listen to me. It's different here. Different from anything you've ever known. On Woden, there are 16 men. 16 men on an entire world. They're fighting. Fighting an alien environment. The environment fights back. You can only make a mistake once. I made a mistake. Yes. There's no hope of... Absolutely none. You'll have to be put out of the ship. It was better so. With the going of all hope would go the fear. Then would come the resignation. She needed time, and there was so little. EDS. Starship to EDS. Need pertinent data. All right, Starship. When do you expect to complete your report? I... I need a computer check. I'll give you statistics. Statistics. This is EDS 4G3. I'm intersecting course vector 7.3 at 0831. Deceleration 1750, weight one ton. I would like to stay at point 10 as long as the computers allow. Will you give them the question? Check. I'll call you back. We wouldn't have long to wait. 
The new factors would be fed into the steel maw of the computer bank and the electrical impulses would go through the complex circuits. Here and there, a relay would click, a tiny cog turn over. But it would be the current, formless, mindless, invisible, which would determine with utter precision how long the pale young girl beside me would live. Five little segments of metal in the second bank would trip against an inked ribbon and the machine would spit out the answer. You will resume deceleration at 1910. It was 1810 when he spoke. One hour. She has one hour to live. One hour? That's it. All I did was hide in a closet. And now you tell me I have to die. I don't believe it. You might as well get used to it. If this happened back on Earth, a thousand ships would fill the sky. The whole world would know about it. They'd do everything to save you. This isn't Earth. It's such a big dream. Jerry and I separated almost five years ago. We were too young. And I was going to see him to try to make everything all right again. I... Are you married? I was. Oh? She ran off with some guy in the weather service. Do you still think about it? I don't let myself. Where is she? Back on Earth. Look, if you don't mind, I'd just as soon talk about something else. Okay. What do you do when you've got an hour to live? What do you talk about? What's Jerry like? Jerry? Oh, he's a funny guy. When he found out, I, I mean about the other fella, he didn't get mad. He, he cried. That was all he felt, sadness. So you walked all over him. Oh, I thought I wanted him to get mad at me, to, to be jealous. And now? I've been thinking about him for five years. So when I heard the ship was bound for Woden and I knew Jerry was there, I stowed away. I didn't know about the fuel. I didn't know this would happen to me. She had violated a man-made law that said keep out. The penalty was not of man's making or desire. It was not a penalty men could revoke. H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination. The time was 1830. Forty minutes. It was beginning to get me. A space frontier is a rough place, and I'd seen a hundred men die since I left Earth. But this was different. I watched her as she wrote a message to her folks. I watched her as she fought her way through the black horror of fear toward the calm gray of acceptance. And then there it was on the view screen. The planet Woden. A red ball enshrouded in the blue haze of its atmosphere, swimming in space against the background of star-sprinkled blackness. The chronometer on the instrument panel said... 1845. Listen, we're in radio range of Woden now. I mean, would you want me to try to contact your husband? Jerry? It'd mean he would know you're going to die. There'd be nothing anyone can do. Yes. I would like to talk to him. Do you think we can? 
The planet is turning. If his group is on the side facing us, we might be able to reach him. We'll try. All right. Hello. Hello, Woden. EDS to government survey group. Can you hear me? Come in, Woden. They may not be monitoring. Hello. 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 Identify yourself, please. This is government survey group one on planet Woden. This is John Barton, EDS pilot. You have the serum? Yes. How bad is it? One man died last night. Six have the fever. How long will it take? I start deceleration at 1910 hours. I should be able to land at 1930. Thank God. Uh, Look, do you have a Gerald Cross in charge of the group? Commander Cross? Yes, we do. Could I speak to him? He isn't here. He's out with the survey team. When do you expect him? Can't say. Uh, How do you read me? How much time do we have left for communication? Less than 15 minutes. All right. If Commander Cross comes back before we lose radio contact, will you have him buzz me? It's important. Okay, EDS. I'll keep the set open. Check. The minutes passed like small bits of eternity. On the view screen, I could see Manning's continent sprawled like a gigantic hourglass in the eastern sea. There was a thin line of shadow where it was beginning to disappear as the planet turned on its axis. I looked at the pale woman next to me. And I thought of another woman long ago who'd sat next to me and cried because I wouldn't try to understand. What had she written in those letters back home? What would they think of the faceless, unknown pilot who'd sent her to her death? What would I think of myself alone nights reliving this voyage? Cold, isn't it? I'll turn up the thermostat. Nothing from Jerry? We have about two minutes of radio contact left. Maybe it's better. I mean, suppose it were you and your wife tried to call you. How would you feel? I don't know. Do you ever hear from her? I got a letter about a year ago. I tore it up. That was foolish. Yeah, it was. Life is so terribly short to be wandering around alone. Well, I... I... Wait a second, we're getting something. How much time before before I have to leave the ship? About ten minutes. Hello, EDS. Hello, EDS. Come in. Come in. EDS. This is Woden. I have Commander Cross. All right, go ahead. Hello, this is Commander Cross. Jerry Cross? Yes. I have someone for you. Go ahead. Hello. Jerry? Hello? Jerry. Who is it? It's me, Marilyn. Marilyn. I wanted to see you again. I stowed away on the EDS. You what? What, Marilyn? It doesn't matter, Jerry. All that matters is that I can tell you all the things I've kept inside for so long. Jerry, I want you to know I, I've i never forgotten. Oh, it's been so many years. I, I can't believe it. I thought I'd see you again, but now I can't. Jerry, you, you don't hate me, do you? Hate you? Marilyn, I've never stopped loving you. Not for an instant. Oh, Jerry. Listen, we don't have much time. The transmission is getting fuzzy. Oh, Marilyn, I've got to see you. There's got to be some way. But there isn't. Let me talk to the pilot. Let me. Hello. Pilot, have you called the mothership? Did you have them checked with the computers? I've done everything. You've been on the frontier long enough to know the setup in an EDS. There must be something, some way. Do you think I'd let this happen if I wasn't sure? He tried to help me, Jerry. He tried. And it really doesn't matter. I'm not frightened anymore. Not now. But how did you get here? I don't understand. Well, I was going to Mimir to take a job, I thought. And now I realize it was 
I was just going because I'd be closer to where you were. Oh, Jerry, all this time... Don't. Let me tell you something. Marilyn, I've always known you'd come back to me. I've known it every minute. It's what's kept me alive. I want you to hold that in your mind. Jerry, I, I can't hear you. We haven't much time. We're losing radio contact. Jerry! Oh, don't cry, darling. Just know how I feel. I do. It's fading. There are so many things to say. Jerry, if you can still hear me, maybe I'll come to see you again. Maybe I'll come to you in your in your dreams, or, or be the touch of a breeze, or one of those golden-winged little birds singing my silly head off. Maybe I'll be nothing you can see or hear, but you'll know I'm there. Think of me like that, Jerry. Goodbye. She sat motionless in the hush that followed. And then she looked at me. Now? Now. I pulled down the black lever, and the inner door of the lock slid open. She walked with her head up and the brown curls brushing her shoulders. I let her do it alone. She stepped into the lock and turned to face me, and I could see the pulse in her throat. I'm ready. I pulled the red lever, and there was a slight waver as the air gushed out. I thought I sensed a bump, as if something had bumped the outer door. And then there was nothing. The white hand of the closet temperature control was back at zero. A cold equation had been balanced, and I was alone in the ship. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Cold Equations, written by Tom Godwin and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Court Benson as Barton, Jay Meredith as Marilyn, Milo Bolton as Commander Delhart, Bob Hastings as Jerry Cross, Jack Arthur as traffic control officer, and Walter Kinsella as the warden monitor. Your announcer, Bill Rippey, X-1 was directed by Ken McGregor and is an NBC Radio Network production. And now, next week, in the days of the Windjammers, Whalers sometimes went on cruises that lasted as long as two years, and so sometimes they had to resort to rough methods to gather a crew. But what of the future when a cruise to a distant star may last for 15 years or more? We hear of such a voyage next week on X, 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 X minus, 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 one, 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 one. That will wrap up this Saturday sci-fi episode of The Twilight Beacon, featuring two classic science fiction tales from the golden age of radio. You heard The Defenders, a Philip K. Dick story adapted for the May 22, 1956 airing of X-1, and Tom Godwin's Cold Equations, from the August 25, 1955 episode of X-1. The Twilight Beacon will return next Tuesday, October 18th, featuring two episodes of classic radio programs that explore frightening adventures from the pages of history. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell, saying goodnight everyone and good luck 
getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and the schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.